gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. And we're back here on ESSR Central here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet after a two-week break. We are back with a revolution review and a small look ahead to WrestleMania, the road to WrestleMania well and truly heating up. And we'll look ahead uh, to some of the matches that have already been booked. But our main focus today is an AEW Revolution review. And join me for the first time, it feels like an eternity, by way of Mexico, sorry, coming from Mexico City by way of Clarkson. He is... <laughs> Oh, you know what? It's great to be back. And to be honest, I'm not surprised Central didn't last, uh, didn't go on the last couple of weeks because you can't have Central without yours truly. And I finally switched off of my Buzz Lightyear Spanish mode and I'm back to get into the nitty gritty of what's been going on in the wrestling world because I've been out the loop for quite a while. I was about to say, wait, to put yourself over there and then go, I've been out the loop for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just goes to show, like, I could go away for a fortnight come back straight into the uh, presenting gig like I've not missed anything at all and I still do like just as much presenting uh, compared to most people here. Uh, we've had this argument about who does <laughs> who does the majority of presenting here on Suplex Retweet. We'll not, we'll not get into it again. <laughs> but um, just before we kick off, just remember you can find all our back catalogue, reviews, previews, interviews, all the news, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. And, of course, at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Uh, right, AEW Revolution, uh, coming to you live from the Chase Centre in San Francisco, California, this past Sunday, March 5th. A nine-match card, which is not surprising. They've reduced the number of matches from usually between 13 to 16 uh, considering the main event was a 60-minute Ironman match, but I was surprised Tony Khan was able to contain himself. <laughs> you know what? It does make for a nice change, but even still, a 60-minute Ironman match on a nine-match card is still quite a lot, all things considered, because mostly WrestleMania night one is, tends to be about eight or nine matches, and that's without uh, a one-hour match going on. But then again, it could be argued that some of those matches on a on a mania card can go as much as twenty to thirty minutes apiece. So it's almost like you know the the NXT formula. Less is more. You get lengthy matches with fewer mat uh, like lengthier matches with fewer matches on the card. But in this instance, AEW is just sort of like it's a bit of a paradox here because they've actually got matches that have went respectable lengths, even though it's still a pretty stacked card. All things considered, I, I obviously had this conversation with you before we came on that. I was watching it live and I thought I'll probably see five matches like because I didn't have any faith in Tony Khan to rein it in with the match times. Mm -hmm. I was quite surprised that uh, just before half past three UK time, two and a half hours into the show, we were heading to the main event. Uh, MGF was making his entrance and usually about half past two, we've probably got about six matches left. <laughs> Sorry, half past three. But... Uh, yeah, fair play to Tony Khan to rein it in, given the, given the main event stipulation. Uh, me, Stephen, spoke with Grant as well, spoke with Scott about this. Um, a weird pay-per-view going into it. It had a lot of, uh, lot of interest around the main event. 
Um, the Texas death match certainly was something we were looking forward to. We knew there'd be blood. It was a John Moxley match. Mm-hmm. And not much else really got a lot of press. You know, some feuds that have maybe not heated up the way people want or some feuds that have maybe been put to the side and went on too long or couldn't been helped through injury. But a lot of good matches on this show. I wouldn't say a genuinely terrible match was on this show, but there was quite a bit of filler that going into it, it didn't generate a lot of buzz compared to other AEW pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could name just a few matches that you could tell immediately were felt like filler, like the four-way tag team match, I think, was one of them, looking back at highlights. Uh, probably, and I hate to say it, but again, because it was the only women's match on the card, that also felt like a bit like a bit of a thriller, filler, because it was it was the shortest match on the card, but clocking at about 10 minutes. But it did have some storyline development towards the end, so I suppose the, I can give it a bit of leeway. But I think the other one is probably the TNT Championship with Wardlow and Samoa Joe. Those two have been going back and forth for some time as well. This felt like a almost like a rubber match between them, and it didn't really feel as satisfying a conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's kick off with the pre-show. Uh, Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers going up against Aria Davari, Josh Woods and Tony Nice. Um, this was a, it's a decent six-man tag match here, but my main gripe here is this is the definition of filler. Um, mm-hmm. What do Tony Nese and Davari add to this company? They went from pre-show in WWE to pre-show in AEW. It's not exactly <laughs> an improvement if you've yeah. just moved from one one big company to a slightly smaller company's pre-show. Like it's not a, an improvement, but yeah. Um, Mark Briscoe being kept quite um being pushed quite strong still with the tag title, um, still being recognised as one half of the world tag team champions. Um good to see the Lucha Brothers get on the show. It's always a good match with those guys, but really not much to say about this one other than why why would you sign Davari and Tony Nice? I think it's more criminal that the Lucha Brothers are being put on the pre-show. I mean, they're probably one of the, the best tag teams going in AEW. Like, why not put them in the four-way match for the AEW tag titles? I would have rather have seen them than, say, maybe Jay Lethal or Jay, Jeff Jarrett. And I'm sure you would uh, agree on that, knowing you're a uh, heavy adoration for Mr. JJ. But then again, Orange <laughs> Cassidy and Danhausen felt a bit like filler in that match to begin with. Like, the Lucha Brothers, I think, would have added much more to the AEW tag title match than just being shuffled in on the pre-show. I think we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more depth when we talk about the Fatal 4-Way match, but I felt that match was one of my favourite matches on the card because I felt everyone got a chance to do their shtick. And, you know, the, the whole thing about Jay Lethal and Double J is that they are want to be, they're wanting respect and they're not getting it, so they're kind of being treated like a joke. Mm-hmm. So th- it worked with them there. Uh, they acclaim trying to get their rematch. They'll obviously eventually get a singles rematch down the line, I think. And Dan Housen and Orange Cast the the comic relief. So I felt everyone kind of got their own thing in there. Whereas mm-hmm. it, I don't think it would have made sense for the Lucha Brothers to be there because it, it's just another title loss for them sort of thing. So mm. I think just keeping them strong, keeping them warming up in the background, 
is a good thing. Uh, not everyone can be in the title picture at once. So that's that's my thoughts on the Lucha Brothers. That's well, brilliant. We, well, we talk about the opening match, Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho. Um, this, this, by the way, I liked this show overall. I'm very, I'm going to be very high, full of high praise for the trios match, the death match, the tag match and the main event. However, this match here, Dave, Jerry Seinfeld and Martin Short once had a conversation on the show Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee about losing it. And they say, no one tells you that you've lost it when you get to a certain standing. And when you realise yourself, you've lost it for about five years. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about Chris Jericho at the minute. I feel... I just feel... For one, he looks fucking awful. Like, he looks absolutely... I know he wants to be a rock star in the 80s. He Mm -hmm. doesn't need to look like Vince Neil now. Like, (laughs) he looks horrendous. I honestly think, see if he cut his hair short again, went back to wearing trunks, I think he'd look fine. I honestly think he'd look fine. Not everyone needs to be, you know, eight-pack ripped, but Chris Jericho looks horrendous at the minute. Mm. I mean... I mean, age is catching up with him a little bit, but it's, uh, to be fair, he actually got a pretty decent storytelling match out of Ricky Starks, if I'm being honest. Like, Jericho Appreciation Society was banned from ringside, and yet Sammy Guevara made an appearance at some point just to cause a distraction. And I'm, I don't understand why Jericho get, didn't just get disqualified by that point, because it's, it's almost like AEW's, you know, bending their own rules a little bit uh, just for the sake of storytelling or shenanigans. And it's... It's like they can't even stick to their own rules. It's ridiculous sometimes. But all in all, I'll say I think this was a good a good way for a seasoned veteran to put over uh, a rising star in AW. You know, Ricky Starks has sort of broken out on his own a little bit. And I have that's not gone unnoticed, especially from, you know, a casual AW viewer like myself. He's certainly working his way up the ranks. Uh, and I think a solid win over Jericho is uh, definitely a a good stepping stone for him because I'm almost reminded of um, when Chris Jericho faced Evan Bourne. I think it was at Fatal 4-Way 2010 and Bourne ended up winning that match just for the sake of, I think, Jericho wanting to put over a fast rising star. But obviously we know, we know what happened with Evan, the Evan Bourne character. I mean, yeah. Matt Seidel obviously returned to AEW at some point, but I mean, what could have been with Evan Bourne? It's uh well, I, I did. Funny you mentioned Evan Bourne because I did laugh when Chris Jericho, eh, sorry, when Excalibur said Ricky Starks joins joins uh, an exclusive list of people that have a victory over Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. What his thing for about four years was putting over new guys. He was jobber <laughs> the stars and yeah, WWE I mean, for about four years. So basically, Ricky Starks is in, is in the same club as Fandango now. Yeah, Fandango and Evan Bourne have a pay per view match. <laughs> Uh, over Chris Jericho um, look Ricky Starks uh, I see what they're trying to do I just I, I don't get it I watched him on the uh, media scrum after I fell asleep I just <laughs> he, he's present his look he looks like a star but there's he's a good wrestler he's a good in-ring wrestler but this is the thing these days a lot of people are really good in-ring wrestlers mm-hmm because 
the the style has changed of wrestling. The wrestling style has changed, and there are better places for people to learn their trade, and there's more places for people to hone their craft, which does mean being just a good wrestler doesn't cut it anymore. You're going to a, a personality, and as, as bad as Jericho looks right now, he still has a personality and is still sensational on the mic. Starks isn't on that level, and yeah, it, I asked Grant about this because my stream cut out um, at the start of the pay-per-view, and it came back on for the next match. I had to re-watch this match the next day, and I asked him, I went, I've managed to avoid spoilers, how was it? And he just said, it was a decent match, it was there. It was a Chris Jericho match at this point. And that, that's just how I feel about Chris Jericho at this point. It's... <sighs> yeah, AEW has better. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. AEW has better than Ricky Starks. And I think AEW needs to move away from leaning on Chris Jericho because he's far too present in the product. Mm-hmm. And even though he's not at the stage of a cut angle or Undertaker... He is still, he's 52 years old. He's 53 this year. It's time to move away from Chris Jericho. Yeah, Ricky Starks needs to move on from Jericho Appreciation Society. Now, he's made his claim against a seasoned veteran. It's time he, you know, maybe focuses on winning a championship. Now, possibly maybe go for the TNT Championship after Powerhouse Hobbs has used his brass ring. Yeah, I think so. Um... Well, if Powerhouse Hobbs wins it, there is the built-in storyline with those two as well. Absolutely, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think he... Ricky Starks is someone who does need a storyline behind him mm-hmm. because at the minute, just uh, I beat Jericho and Jericho's upset and wants a rematch. <clears throat> that's not a, that's not a storyline. Um, mm-hmm. Match number three on the card, Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage, the final burial. Um, this is a feud that, if circumstance went in the way, it went in favour of AEW, they would have been able to, you know, sort of do this, finish this up by a uh, full gear in November. Unfortunately, Christian got injured. A uh, Jungle Boy mm-hmm. ended up having a. He's with him. He's not with him. He's with him. He's not with him. A uh, feud with Luchasaurus. Um, Christian Cage back to sort of finish off the feud not a great um, build to this but I thought this match was quite good I I liked that they were talking about how Jungle Boy doesn't have that killer edge and then <laughs> the fact that he hit him with the concerto and then threw him in the coffin and looked him dead in the eye as he closed the lid I thought that was quite good it gave Jungle Boy a bit of an edge and yeah, a, a match that was good, but a feud that was poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the feud was definitely poor. Uh, although I'm not sure a final burial match was in the best taste, given that you know, you know, there has been mockery of you know Jack Perry's dad, Luke Perry, the great. I Luke think that played into it. I think like yeah, Jack, even still, him. even still though, should you bring? a family member's death just for cheap heat it's kind of like what they did with Eddie Guerrero you know Randy Orton using Eddie's death for cheap heat in his feud with Rey Mysterio back in 2006 like people criticise you know using 
like dead celebrities or other dead wrestlers for cheap heat and yet nobody seems to be making a peep on this one it just seems a little bit a little, I think, a little bit hypocritical I think on that front I do, I do get what you mean um, like you know the famous one was uh, Charlotte Flair, Flair's brother uh, Reed Flair uh, mm. when Paige referenced and uh, Reed's mother wasn't told about this and then unfortunately it happened and it was like oh my god I think being Jungle Boy's father and being the fact that he's obviously got to clear it and the fact that Batista has since came out and said about uh, the Eddie Guerrero cheap heat that Eddie would have been absolutely fine with that. Eddie Guerrero was, you know, a consummate professional, grew up in the business, knows, you know, you do anything to get a crowd reaction. So I think it depends on the angle and it depends on if the performer themselves is okay with that sort of thing. It's it's like in everything, it's all about it's all about the perspective and how it's done. And I, I I don't have a problem with it because Christian was trying to come across as a despicable heel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I have no problem with that. I something that um I, I put in my notes and I, I did like the fact that Jungle Boy did have a bit of an edge in this match, but compared to the other pillars of AEW, Jungle Boy, I just, I, I don't buy into him. I, I don't know what it is, but yeah. uh, MGF in the media scrum after said about uh, Sammy Guevara, um, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, and Darby Allen. we all know there's only one pillar that holds up this place, and yeah. I Jungle Boy's not done enough for me. Um, hopefully, not being lumbered with this feud due to Christian's injury means that he's going to be able to move on from it. But I think he, I think he needs to move on and move on quickly. There can't be any lull period. There needs to be. No, a second. It's done. He's he's laid it to rest now. Like, and I like how you know Jungle Boy even was almost creasing at the fact that he actually had to concerto Christian because it, it just didn't have that in him because and it just goes to show you know, he's he's definitely meant to be more of a a sympathetic character a little bit someone yeah. with a good heart you just wouldn't expect to do such a a dastardly move but it almost felt necessary to get rid of a someone that's been plaguing him for so long and but yeah you're right the feud was messy but I suppose it did have a pretty satisfying conclusion watching the uh you know it, what eventually was a, a casket match or a very yeah. deluxe match. Like the 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 final bit towards, you know, when they were at the the casket itself, you know, using the shovel as a in a in a sort of crossface or an STF type hold, I thought that was pretty unique. Uh but yeah, the concerto finish as well, I think that was a bit of a homage to to Edge as well. <laughs> And I, and I just kept thinking, you know, I'm kind of reminded like about of Joe Hendry's latest TNA music video, what he did on Matt Cardona and Kurt Hawkins, where they basically called him Edge's bitch. Like, I kind of got the, that same impression with Christian a little bit after being hit with the concerto. It's like, now, you, now you're Edge's bitch kind of thing. I did like the Christian wrestled the match and he cut off Turtleneck. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> He's probably <clears throat> been reading uh, Andy Mitchell's wardrobe. Yeah. Um, what I will say about Christian Cage in AEW, and yes, he has his injury problems, but he was there for quite a while. 
Um, I remember when folks said that Christian having an Impact title run meant that he was right to go to AEW and not just uh, remain in WWE. How, how is that? How is being booked and a sister, he essentially sent out on loan. So how is doing well in a different company proof that he should have went to AEW? Like, it just... Makes, makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. Impact did a great job with Christian Cage. AEW hasn't used him to the best of the ability and he's essentially slid into the Chris Jericho slash Kane role of putting over the new talent and yeah. Um, let's move on to possibly match of the night for me. Uh, the House of Black, Malachi Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, going up against Omega, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson of the Elite. Um, Six-man tag match for the AEW World Trios Championship. No complaints here. This was absolutely sensational. This was this is what we want from the Trios title. Three, two actual teams of three who work well together and who, who put on an absolutely sensational match. Mm-hmm. The the gif that's been going around the internet, um, uh-huh. Buddy Matthews hitting the big knee on Nick Jackson as he tries to do the Meltzer driver, absolutely sensational. And it's nice to see the House of Black with some gold round their waist. Yeah, it's about time as well, given that you know Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews are finally getting their dues after you know it. What it looked like, you know, House of Black was about to fade to black with uh, Malachi having gone away for some time. But it's really, really good to see that they're finally getting a bit of exposure against, you know, arguably the most the most prominent team that AEW has to offer in the in the elite. So but that that Buddy Matthews knee on was it Nick that ate it? Yeah. Oh Jesus. I I could watch that over and over, but it just goes to show how like how vastly underappreciated Buddy Matthews is. Guy is guy's outstanding at what he does and he never got his due in WWE, maybe got a half decent run with the Cruiserweight title but he could have easily been United States or Intercontinental Champion, even given Roman Reigns a run for his money for crying out loud, I mean to see him finally, you know, getting somewhere with, not just on his own but as part of a faction, it's that's what I really appreciated the most and, you know, the storytelling from the, uh, the super kick party to the near misses with the fade to black and you know Brody King, you know, I mean, for a guy his size, he's incredibly agile in a lot of ways. You know, doing tope suicidas and dives to the outside, it, they just matched everything the, the 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 elite was throwing at them. This was a really really good match to watch, and it wasn't that long for you know a traditional tag team match either. Like in the grand scheme of things, you know, when you look at NXT or. Uh, some of the other AEW pay-per-views as well. Yeah, 18 minutes long that was. Um, so, House of Black now with the titles. Where does this leave the elites? Um, we'll talk about, obviously, the tag title scene. We um, There is a new challenger coming into that. Um, so, I think Matt and Nick Jackson will need to take a back seat for a while. Mm, I hope not. They're on me and Gary's draft team, so maybe they could uh, go after the... Take some time off, guys. Nah, 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 nah. Go after the ass boys. 
<laughs> but um, Kenny Omega uh, being the subject of interest from WWE, WWE co- uh, confident they can get him. Um, a lot of people in agreement that Kenny Omega's three-year stint uh, as it should be. There was a good world title run in there and a, a period out with injury. Kenny Omega was mentioned quite a bit during the presser uh, by MGF. MGF confronting Dave Meltzer saying, who's the best wrestler in the world? Is it Kenny Omega? Is it Kenny Seven Stars? Is it and kept mentioning Kenny Omega's name. I like do that. You think Ken, do you think Kenny Omega moves into the world title scene heading to All Out at the end of May? Uh, and is he the next challenger for MGF? Because MGF, we, we'll talk about, obviously, we talked privately about our thoughts. I think he has had some seriously good matches and he did have a good Ironman match with Brian Danielson. Mm-hmm. I think if he gets in there with Kenny Omega and the main event of a, not all out, sorry, double or nothing. Double or nothing. Yeah. He, they will put on a sensational showing together. And I yeah. think being back in the main event picture is going to be used as a, a tool to try keep Kenny in AEW. <laughs> I, I think that's the way it seems to be going, especially with MJF running his mouth about Kenny Omega in the press conference. It almost it almost makes sense. You know, it sets up a new challenger. And I don't think we've seen MJF and Kenny Omega go one-on-one in AEW before. So I'd be I'd be pretty keen to see that. And given how well he did against Danielson for 60-plus minutes, I reckon you'd be surprised at how much of a good contest those two could put together. But yeah, MJF needs a new challenger. The Bucks could obviously... Go back and challenge for the um, the regular tag titles. Let the trios titles go to some of the other factions, etc. Yeah, I think I would be down with seeing MGF versus Kenny. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I thought that was a, a great match. And if it is used to write the elite out of the six-man uh, title picture, then fair play. You know, I... I have no complaints, and you, you mentioned some of the other factions. Who would you like to see House of Black go up against next? Ooh, see, that's tricky because actually, you know what? Death Triangle. Give them another shot at it. I think he's out injured at the minute as Pack, but they have been doing the six-man tag uh, sort of things with um, with Mark Briscoe, so why or, not? Or how about best friends? Orange Cassidy, Danhausen, and or maybe Trent and uh, Chuck Taylor. Why not? I'd, I'd like I Trent, Chuck Taylor, and Danhausen. I'd like to see or Trent, uh, Chuck Taylor, and Orange Cassidy. No, I'd I'd like to see Cassidy uh, do the would you call it Atlantic. Do, stay with the All-Atlantic Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we know the situation with the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Jay Briscoe, unfortunately, passing away. Would it be, you know, Supercard of Honor, WrestleMania weekend, mm-hmm. looking to crown new Ring of Honor World Tag Champions? The Bucks of Youth have been the Ring of Honor World Tag Champs before. Mm-hmm. Could they possibly be moved over 
to Ring of Honor for a bit just to maybe re-establish those tag titles? Probably. Although we wouldn't get draft points as a result. So. I'm not asking about your draft. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, me and Gary have got like a... You've got a show for that. It's called Saturday Draft Live. I listen yeah, to it. That, that's my one plug for, for Central now because, you know, <laughs> this and Central are the only shows you hear nowadays. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The workhorse. Well, anyway. Actually, you know what? That, that, that's not true. We say East Meets West has also been, uh, has been out there as well. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll not uh, dive into that. Anyway, the women's triple threat match for the EW World Women's Championship. Jamie Hayter uh, going up against Saria and Ruby Soho. Shortest match on the card. Also, worst match on the card for me. Absolutely dire. Um, Stephen, in the build-up to this, said, try convince me Saria's run in AEW has been a success. You will fail miserably. Saria and Tony Storm have done nothing in shoot interviews and outside interviews about how they hated be where they were in WWE and how they thought they should have been treated better and how... You know, Paige, what uh, the ex Page wanted release from her contract, they wouldn't let her go. But why isn't it the gimmick now that they are hauling Nash from 1995? <laughs> like, uh, they are not WWE outsiders, they are not, they, they are not, you know, the, the the kayfabe curtain is not there anymore. You know, we don't think you're still in WWE, we know you've came here and you've made it clear that you weren't happy in WWE, so now. Why is this? Why is this feud, you know, being built around that? Uh, also, I, I will say this, and this is why it was the worst match, not because of the build-up, even though the build-up was dire, like a lot of these matches. Had this been a straight-up Saria Ruby Soho match, I thought it would have been a good match. But Jamie mm-hmm. Hayter, I'm sorry, she is another overrated AEW women's wrestler showing why she didn't make it in WWE. Oofed. If you're in NXT, you got a fair crack of the whip. I'm sorry if you don't think that, but I do. The NXT system is designed to essentially let the cream rise. And yeah, occasionally people fall through the cracks and some people don't get their fair shot. I think she did. And it's just, it's another reason why you shouldn't be hoovering up every ex-WWE talent and considering Britt Baker is on the outside I don't know if she's injured at the minute but it just seems this weird thing in AEW where Britt Baker is constantly the best women's wrestler in that company certainly the most over women's wrestler in that company and she is constantly moved away from the title picture into, but kept on the card in other lesser roles it's as if, oh, well, we can't have you as champion all the time, but we want to keep you on TV. You can't be half pregnant. Either she's a Charlotte Flair character, where she's <laughs> always in the title hunt, or she's a, a Brian Danielson in WWE. That's the best. I couldn't think of a woman's example. Um, where Brian Danielson could go up to the ma- uh, main event card, but then come down into the United States title picture or the IC title picture, or have a non-title feud that got people invested. So, yeah, this whole just being on the outside while Jamie Hayter gets her shot, I'm sorry. Jamie Hayter's had her shot. She's not good enough. Mm. Again, you know, it's uh, it's odd booking in the women's division when just when you thought, you know, they're finally getting somewhere. And 
it seems a lot of these ex-WWE people just don't seem to be hitting their stride, you know, with Soraya, Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. All, all of them are now a faction now after, I think it was Ruby that ate the pin and then she turns on, yeah. on Jamie Hayter, aligns herself with Soraya and Tony. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're doing now with the AEW women's title because Dr. Britt Baker is still, I think, the, the A-list female superstar in AEW. I think Jamie Hayter is just sort of like, she's still seen as almost like the sidekick a little bit. But who's just getting her go with the big gold belt? Yeah. Effectively, it's, um, uh, I I can't really comment much else on it, unfortunately, because you know, you know, we've said it before in the past. The women's division booking is it's it's been a mess since day one. A slightly tidier mess at times, but still a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, I, I I just I I wasn't invested in this. I thought the the story was crap. I thought the match quality dipped and it dipped when it was Jamie Hayter. Saraya and Ruby Soho in there were really good together. Um, but yeah, Jamie Hayter, not for me. Um, let's move on to the death match because this was great. This was the second longest match on the card at 24 minutes, 45 seconds. Um, Vince McMahon once described AEW as blood and guts. Well, this is an absolutely... Prime example of that, but in a good way. This was great. This was a great, gory match. Two guys taking it to the absolute extreme. Um, and two guys who... The feud was quite simple on paper. I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's knock ten shades of shit out of each other. Yeah, this was the one I was looking forward to the most. Uh because I think ever since Hangman's been out with the, the concussion, I've been really, really looking forward to see Moxley and Hangman go at it. And it's... I've only seen a handful of Texas death matches as well, but AEW certainly loves to do them. Uh, but yeah, this had all the makings of just two guys who simply did do not like each other. Like, almost shades of Gargano and Champa, but on steroids a little bit from TakeOver New Orleans. I mean, because, you know, almost like a few minutes in, you know, they brought out the barbed wire. Moxley starts bleeding as as per usual. Uh, but some of the spots, you know, the creativity was, was excellent. And even what I also liked is that there were some shades of Moxley's past coming back as well. You know, he brought in the two bricks. He curb stomps Hangman Amazing. on on the bricks as well. Shades of when Seth Rollins did it to Ambrose back in 2015 to write him off TV for a bit while he went and did a film. Like, I thought that was a really nice touch to it. Uh, but the use of barbed wire, you know, there was uh, the creativity behind it. It was, you know, wrapping it around the chairs, wrapping it around each other. The, that back rake though, from the top rope and just given where the camera angle was, that was just painful to watch. Uh, not to mention, you know, when Hangman got pushed off the top to that barbed wire board to the outside, he almost missed it as well, which I thought, ow, that's going to hurt. But the the finish, I mean, what a creative way to finish, you know, literally like hanging him from the top rope with a chain, like Hangman living up to his gimmick. 
<laughs> but like literally, but just taking it to the extreme and have Moxley tap out rather than get knocked out. That, yeah, I, I was not expecting Moxley to tap out. You know, I'd, I'd have expected him to get knocked out. Yeah, I've seen people complaining about that online. It's like the man was being hung by his neck. With a chain. Yeah, like, of course he was going to tap out. Like, not, mm. this is something, and it, it happens far too often in modern wrestling. The passing out, refusing to tap out thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not going to make the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, so stop trying it. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. The stupidest one I remember was Rusev. You know, passing out John Cena, whose motto was never give up. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but then when he did it to a uh, Ryback, you were like, right, come on now, let's. <laughs> Let's be serious here. Let's um, let's take it serious and not take the, you know what? Um, yeah, yeah. Just, do, just do what he did to Callisto and just roll him up like a pretzel. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love the the Buckeye onto the, eh, not the Buckeye, the dead dead eye, dead eye, yeah. yeah, onto the bricks. I loved. Um, the fact that he didn't wait for him to get into the ring, which is some a bit of realism that I wish would come out more. People who don't like each other, they're not going to let you do your full entrance and get hyped up in the crowd. They're going to come out and punch you in the mouth, for God's sake. Oh, yeah. Um, only one thing, and it's a minor complaint, and it's not just this match, it's every match, because they tried it in the Kyle O'Reilly um Adam Colefield, mm-hmm. where they try to wrap their leg and cha- uh, wrap their fist in chains. Yeah, yeah. The the barbed wire. It's barbed wire. It hurts. Uh-huh. It, it it's sharpened steel. <laughs> like put it on somebody's flesh and it will rip. Stop mm-hmm. trying to wrap it round your leg for a super kick, or put it round your torso. It it, it looks shit. <laughs> you may <laughs> yeah, jump off. It did look really sloppy when they were trying yeah. to do it. You may as well do it with a hula hoop. It would have the same effect. <laughs> but yeah, a, a great match. The third best match, I think, on the card. I enjoyed it. Good. It, it was something different. You know what I mean? It, mm, it was although a Texas Death match isn't really different in AEW, though. No, I mean on this pay-per-view, on this card. All right, yeah. Like, change of pace. Yeah, change of pace. It was just brutal and gory. Uh, next up, the TNT uh, Championship match, Samoa Joe and Wardlow. They guys have both suffered from stop-start booking here. There was yeah. a reaction for Joe, and I, I I was talking to David Campbell about this. I said, Joe was being cheered because of who he is and what he's done before. Wardlow, however, is now either getting booed or getting no reaction whatsoever, which is a crime considering where he was and where he was positioned uh, after the MGF feud. But, mm. you know, Joe Joe lost the title for 28 days uh, to Darby Allen, which I think was just to get a hometown pop for Darby Allen, to then win it back. Um, I thought that was pointless. Um, Joe is a double champion so he should have been treated as such um, 
But yeah, I think here this match was quite simply just to big separate meat, the side. Say it again. Yeah, big, big meaty men slapping meat. Yeah, and not even in a good way. Bum. Mm. Um, but I think this was just to separate the titles, move Joe back over to the Ring of Honor roster, and yeah, get him ready for Supercard of Honor WrestleMania weekend. Uh, and let Wardle yeah, winning by sleeper hold as well, almost like a coquina clutch, and making Joe pass out as well. I mean, definitely a unique finish because you know there, there's no way he's going to hit Samoa Joe with you know the big power bomb, or let alone ten power bombs like he did to MJF. But <laughs> um, yeah, very odd choice of finish. But again, it was just sort of like a meh match for me. Because Wardlow, I think, has pretty much solidified himself as a mid-carder at this point. But why he's getting booed, though, I'm confused about. Because people were cheering for him to break out as a single star. And he's doing that. And he's got the TNT title back. I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah. It's, fickle. It's a weird, uh, fickle, yeah, is one word. But I can't blame fans for losing interest when... The AEW model is shiny new toy, shiny new toy, shiny new toy. Remember this guy from four months ago? Like, I don't remember the guy from four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't, you know, I, I don't hate any of the guys in it, but I just felt both deserved better. And the 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 build up to it, um, Wardlow's father passed away from cancer. He grows his hair out in a ponytail uh, to have a connection to his dad. Joe cut his hair. They didn't tell you that story before. They told you that story after. So, mm-hmm. like, surely if this was, like, a big part of Wardlow's identity and we knew it going in, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a luch- like a luchador's mask sort of thing, yeah. it would have been so much, like, the heat that Joe would have got from that, it just felt sort of, I'm not saying it's fake at all, I'm not saying it's a fake story. What I'm saying is it sounds like something that's been shoehorned in afterwards when you do it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's... You know, if, if they gave us that, you know, it would make the cutting of the ponytail definitely more shocking. Or the, yeah. the matte bun, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on to an enjoyable semi-main event, a fail-phobia tag team match for the AW World Tag Team Championships. The world's greatest tag team from the greatest seed, the Guns, Austin and Colin, <laughs> defending their titles against the acclaimed and that Judas Billy Gunn. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal and Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. Um, a fun fatal four-way, as I said earlier. It felt like everyone got a chance to get their moment in. You know, they had the, the strut leading into the, the scissor with the guns and uh, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. They had Orange Cassidy um, flipping everyone with his hands in his pockets. Danhausen just being Danhausen and the acclaimed who are continually over. Um, I think you need to be careful here how you book the acclaimed after this though. Mm-hmm. Let we have another Wardlow situation. No, you're right enough, yeah, but this was a. I think this was more for entertainment value than, uh, you know, thinking that it's for the tag team championships. You know, you had a few funny spots, Orange Cassidy doing his thing, Danhausen doing his thing, 
acclaimed still over as anything, you know, the whole doing the whole scissor me daddy with uh, I think it was Jeff Jarrett. There was the spot yeah. with the guitar, you know, he missed the, the guitar spot. Although some involvement from uh, Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh definitely made things a little bit more interesting. Why they didn't well, I suppose you can't get disqualified in a fatal four way, so I can see why they would interfere, you know, create some shenanigans. But I was saying to Jack on Saturday Draft Live, uh, the guns were probably set to retain. The acclaimed wouldn't get pinned because they need to look strong. And I think Orange Cassidy and Danhausen were shuffled in at the last minute just so Danhausen could be the one to eat the pin and nobody else yeah. gets affected by it. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, you know, that it was sort of telegraphed a little bit, but um, yeah, it's... Uh, I suppose it's, I suppose it's a nice filler between you know because you need a couple of uh, you know, a couple of matches to tone down the anarchy that was the Texas Death Match before you got into the, uh, the main event. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I really did enjoy it. Um, let's talk about the main event here: MGF going up against Daniel, uh, sorry, Brian Danielson. Uh, sorry, no, in fact, before we move on. Um, Mm-hmm. At the end, uh, the Gun Club demand respect. That's them beating the FTR. They've beaten. They mentioned they've beaten the acclaim twice now. They've beaten uh, Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. They just beat Jay Lethal and Double J. When possibly the pop of the night, FTR's music hits. They, they yeah. Walk, they walk down. Um, well, I let's just say that music, not a patch on. See, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they walk. They walk down to the ring. They have their fists taped up, and they just start going to town on the guns, mm-hmm. absolutely battering both of them. Um, FTR have been along with Kenny Omega, the top. The sorry, the focus of contract talks. Uh, rumours that they weren't happy with their position, talking about how they weren't happy that they were voted as tag team of the year, despite not being featured in AEW. AEW featured all the awards they won uh, in the Pro Wrestling Observer, uh, sorry, P- uh, Pro Wrestling Insider. Yep, PWI. Observer or PWI, whatever one it was. Uh-huh. Um, whatever marquee magazine it was, um, they put all their achievements up there, but didn't include um, FTR. Dax Hardwood was talking about that on his uh, podcast. He wasn't happy about that. Mm-hmm. But it looks like they're back. It looks like they're going after the AEW tag titles. And again, this looks like, a look, if we put you back in this tag picture, will you stay? Mm-hmm. Like a, almost like a quid pro quo, almost. You know, we'll give you the title scene, we'll give you the pursuit of the tag titles again if you stay with AEW. Because didn't, uh, wasn't there like a picture going around on Dax's Instagram where it looked like uh, a contract with the WWE logo in the bottom corner and it was only like a slight snippet of it? Yeah, it was a piece of paper with a WWE logo on it. I mean, was, that just, was that genuine or was that just trolling, probably? I think he knew what he was doing. Mm. Yeah, I just winded people up a little bit. It's like when John Cena just posts a photo of Kenny Omega mm. or posts a photo of Stone Cold and people are like, what does this mean? It means John Cena was bored. Mm. 
Or he does like a literal turn of the heel when he's cut a probo and said, how's that for a heel turn? Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on to the main event now, MJF versus um, Brian Danielson. 60-minute Ironman match for the AEW World Championship. I think we all have our, uh, have the same opinion about Ironman matches. They are tough to do. And this one is no no exception. First 15 minutes, if you've not watched it yet, you can skip. Other than probably the clip you've all seen going round, which I thought was hilarious, MGF throwing a drink over a child. Nothing <laughs> um, MGF yelling at the camera, is that going to cost me a star, Dave? I might not get the Brian Danielson award. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, just a side note, I've seen people with a different take uh, on the cup, uh, sorry, the uh, the drink being thrown over the child. What's your thoughts on it? Oh, I, I laughed, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like, you know, full-on like aggressive throwing. It was just like, um, you know, casually spilling but you could tell it was deliberate and it's not like he hit the child in the face it was just over like his uh his shirt or his jeans or something uh, but there were some rumors going around that it wasn't it wasn't just like water or anything apparently there was alcohol in it yeah it was his mother's <laughs> drink how, how, how can how can anybody even tell that unless the pet like the mothers actually came up like spoke out and said oh yeah this was my I don't know, my vodka and soda or something. Yeah. Or my gin well, or my gin and lemonade. The ironically it made things better for the child. So think about this. You're at WWE <laughs> you you're at WWE show as a child. Um you know, your favourite superstar is backstage but not booked on the show. This happens, your mother complains to security, and to keep things okay, you get free tickets to the next show. And get to meet your favourite wrestler who's backstage. You'd be you'd be made up. That's a memory that child's going to have. And when he grows up, he's going to be like, "By the way, wait till you see this. I was on AEW TV (laughs) for a while." But he's got tickets to this. Tony Khan said, um, "We're going to see more of Marcus here at AEW." And what's going around now is that there's a picture of him and his mother with Powerhouse Hobbs and him holding the. The brass ring. Mm. Powerhouse Hobbs is his favourite wrestler. Yep. And he's apparently got tickets to this week's Dynamite. Bloody hell. Why so? It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like... Your trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when uh, a few weeks ago on Raw, I think it was Piper Niven that chucked Candice LeRae into the barricade. And unbeknownst to, I think, both of them, like when she hit the barricade, her foot actually kicked a kid in the crowd. <laughs> Not happened to him afterwards, but I, uh, I imagine he must have got some compensation somehow. But what about um, more recently on SmackDown after Rhea Ripley defeated Liv Morgan? You saw that little girl in the crowd was crying. Like she was only about like nine or ten or something, and she ended up getting invited backstage to meet Liv as well. Uh-huh. And now she and now she's basically viral on Liv's Twitter feed. Well, there you go. See, so what are people, what are people complain about? I, I... Fuck this. You're in the front row. You're in the I, splash zone. It's like at SeaWorld. You get a drug uh, chucked on you or you get knocked into the crowd. It's your own fault. <laughs> aye. It's like kind of like when uh, Capital Punishment, you know, 
that John Cena fan got a drink poured over him by our truth like well, that, was him? To do that. that was part of the script yeah I suppose so but um, um, but, but you get angry Miz girl you've got sad live girl now you've got uh, MJF splash kid yeah we can we can move on for this just with a simple Michael Jordan quote which is fuck them kids anyway <laughs> <laughs> Brian Danielson gets the first fall uh, around about the 25-minute mark. Um, he then is disqualified. Uh, sorry, MGF then gets disqualified deliberately as he hits um, Brian Danielson with a low blow, but that's to his advantage as he's then able to get two quick pinfalls. I quite enjoyed that. Um, logic, M- yes. He was using logic. I mean, what a concept. Uh, MGF... Uh, going after Brian uh, Brian's neck uh, after multiple attempts to put him down, including a tombstone through the table, uh, mm. dropping him on his head twice with a heat seeker. He gets him uh, for a third fall. Danielson then ten minutes to go submits him with a regal stretch, bit of a bit of a callback to obviously what MGF's done. Blackpool Combat Club. Yep, and then the match itself ends um, with MGF just holding on, Danielson absolutely raging that he didn't manage to submit him. Um, We then go into extra time, and listen, this is, like I said, this isn't a complaint of the show, this is a complaint of, they do this all the time. They zoom in, when someone is given instructions, like see when the the ref gives the money in the bank contract over and you can hear the ref going, da 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 is cashing in his money in the bank contract and you're like, right, don't don't show me that. I want to hear it from the ring announcer, but like, oh fuck, like he's cashing in. <laughs> you know? But you get the thing through, it's Tony Schiavone. Um he he goes down and does it and it's the Tony Khan will not allow this match to end. Like, piss off, Tony. Piss off. Like, <laughs> ever putting yourself over. Simply put, ladies and gentlemen, this pay-per-view will not end in a draw. We are going to go to sudden death. You know, do that. Don't just, uh, your Lord and Saviour, Tony Khan, is mm. making sure that you enjoy your pay-per-view. Like, piss off. <laughs> uh, didn't Justin Roberts as well have a nickname as well, like the Dabber Yabber? No, the dapper, dapper yapper. Dapper yapper, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so... It's like they've got a nickname for everybody over there. Yeah, not a fan of that. Was a fan of the finish. MGF finding the oxygen tank. Uh, Brian Danielson's head appears over him as he's trying to bring him back into the ring. Hits him with the oxygen tank. Throws it under the ring. I mean... I know it's pro wrestling and the re- pro wrestling referees are worse than those in the SPFL, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh. Daniel head is about the size of a football. You need to use your full arm reach to hold one of those oxygen tanks. Did you not see the blue things come out at the side? Like, how did you <laughs> it? And it, it makes a, a distinctive dong sound. Mm. He throws it under the ring. Um, he throws it under the ring. The ref looks like, oh, 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 well, no evidence. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's dense. Although, in fairness, is 
now that I'm slating uh, Bryce Re- Bryce Remsburg, is that his name? Uh, maybe, yeah, Bryce. Um, I did like the fact that when MGF went to hit Brian, he stood to the side and went, on you go. Like, what? On you go. <laughs> you, you hit him, hit him, on you go. You hit him, I give him the title. And then when he tried, he, he's in the submission move, MGF's <laughs> trying to get the diamond ring, and it's just a sort of, Yoink! As he takes it off his finger, that was quite good. In extra time, um, it's a very good comedy oh, moments. Yeah, you're talking about. So you you talked about earlier in um, AEW forgetting their own rules. You can't be disqualified in a fatal four way. There was interference galore, and then Jeff Jarrett goes to hit somebody with a guitar, and Aubrey Edwards, who by the way is the worst referee out there, no second worst referee. It's a small Italian guy in WWE. I hate him. Uh, <laughs> Not because he's Italian, it just he, I know he's Italian. But like, he's he's just, a ba- just a bad ref. Yeah, he's exceptionally bad. Um, she is horrendous. She takes the guitar off him. What are you doing? <laughs> it's no DQ. But anyway, ah. back to the main event. Um, that was something my notes I'd forgot to rant about. MGF taps out Brian Danielson. Um, a great end to a great match, I thought. Not, and I, I spoke to you about this uh, before we came on air. The tribalism with AEW fans, I feel that every match they have has to be the best ever. And it was an envelope pushing match, and it's mm. better than anything WWE done. It's match of the year already. It was a good 35 minute to 45 minute match squeezed into 65 minutes. There's a lot of filler there. Iron Man matches are hard to do. MGF has great matches, as he talked about in the presser. MGF can go, but I don't think he has the capabilities yet to pull off a 60-minute Iron Man match. And I, I just I didn't see the the hype surrounding this sort of thing. Mm. Given, given that, um, given that there was better matches on that card, I thought I just didn't feel that that it was worthy of the amount of praise it got. Mm. Also, on that hand, though, I don't think it's as bad as people making out. Like, oh well, oh, I didn't have a patch on this, and didn't have a patch on, didn't have a patch on Shawn Michaels' uh, Bret Hart's Iron match. I'll say this to you now, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, 60 minutes with no falls. It's fucking boring, okay? <laughs> it was better than that. It was not better. The best Ironman match, and I know you're going to say it's Brock Lesnar versus um, Kurt Angle because you're a wee ruthless aggression kid. I am, but yeah. The best Ironman match ever is the Rock Triple H Judgment Day 2000. Yeah, I mean, hard to argue that, I suppose. And just throwing it out there, John Cena v Randy Orton was better than this as well. But yeah, I agree. But bear in mind that one was anything goes. You could uh, you couldn't get a win by disqualification. And one thing I will note about that match: there was a thirty second cooldown period between falls in mm-hmm. that match. So definitely zero consistency with Iron Man matches throughout. Particularly, you know, I think that was evidenced, you know, around the twenty six minute mark when you know. There were three 
MJF got essentially three, well, two points in the space of five seconds. Yeah, I'm looking at the times here. 26.35, Danielson picks up a decision via disqualification. 26.43, MJF rolls him up. 26.46, MJF pins him immediately after. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, yeah, it went from 0-0 to 2-2 in the space of less than 90 seconds. There was a a time uh, Triple H went up on The Rock in that Iron Man match, and I think The Rock pulled it back. And he was he was closing in on. T- I think he was either one behind or he he was he went ahead. I can't remember exactly. I'm looking it up just now. But Triple H risked a DQ to hit the Rock in the head uh, <laughs> with the chair to then immediately pin him, which meant he retained his lead. Which I thought was the smartest thing. Anything. Any wrestling, any wrestler has ever done. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it was five five, uh, and then Triple yeah. H. Oh no, no, sorry, it was three three. The Triple H got disqualified for attacking Rock with the steel chair. Then about thirty seconds later, he got a pinfall. Yeah, because Rock uh, Triple H goes three one up. Rock goes three two. Cut, uh, cuts comes back. So then Triple H hits him with a chair to then pin him immediately after, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. And then immediately after goes on the offense and pass makes him pass out to a sleeper, which I thought was great. Um, coming out of uh, this with the media scrum, we mentioned uh, Double or Nothing is on May 28th, I believe. Just looking at the dates here. Uh, Double or Nothing is yep, May 28th. In paradise, in paradise, Nevada. Yeah, I think that's their thing. They always go back to Las Vegas for rest, Vegas, uh, yeah. for, for what's like sort of their their WrestleMania. The way they build it, mm. you know, All Out started it, but um, that's their sort of WrestleMania weekend now. Can I just say as well, like the amount of times that. The number of bumps Danielson took on his head and neck during that match was often uncomfortable to watch, given that, you know, he was tombstoned twice, one through broken table rubble and the other from the middle rope. I mean, I watched those and I winced because even even just the shot with the oxygen tank was, it just made me think, you know, uh, hello, do you not know this is a guy who spent two years on the shelf with concussion and neck issues and was out for best part of a year getting neck surgery? It's, oh, I just don't like it when guys were out for that long due to neck injuries and concussions taking bumps like that. And then they definitely push the envelope with those. And, you know, just because, you know, it's pushing the envelope doesn't make it automatically an all-time great, you know, because it's, cause it's taboo or because, you know, it's, if people know the history of these people's injuries and stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact, you know, it's still a very, very risky spot. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree with that. Um, it's again, though, I, I can't put the onus of that on AEW um, because Brian Danielson goes out there and he does all this stuff. You know, it's it's on him, sort of thing. He he's the one that chooses to wrestle this style and not not veer from the style he's always done. But yeah, I 
it's a double-edged sword. You can either say WWE's toning him down by refusing to let him do that, and if you're going to refuse to let him do that, it's pointless. Mm. But then you could also play it as, oh, well, AEW has a responsibility to its employees. At the end of the day, you can you can tell them one thing once they're out there. It's not as if Tony Khan can come out and go, yeah, no, back, back come backstage, we're not doing that. Like, you know, so... I do agree, but a lot of the stuff was cringy considering his neck issues, but unfortunately you just kind of have to take it as it comes. Um, I thought this was a good pay-per-view. Uh, the good the good matches were good. The filler thankfully has come to an end. Uh, everything bar the women's uh, championship match will pro- uh, will probably be finished up here. Um, I'd give it a seven out of ten pay per view. I don't think it's anywhere. I've seen people saying it's one of the best professional wrestling pay per views of the past ten years and one of the best re- main events of the past ten years. Mm-hmm. It's it's not close for me. No, um, I think it's a good main event. I think you have good matches on there: the Fatal Four Way Tag Match, the Texas Death Match the six-man tag and the even the final burial match was a good match despite the build being poor. And Wardlow and Joe and Starks and Jericho, despite not being great feuds in the build-up, weren't exactly terrible matches. So I'd, I'd say a solid 7 out of 10 pay-per-view. Yeah, I agree. It's Again, it just goes back to tribalism again. I mean... It was a good show, don't get me wrong. Like, but it's like most AEW shows, I think it's just overhyped a little yeah. bit. I wouldn't Absolutely. I'd probably watch the Iron Man match again if it was for like a you know, a wrestling mixtape show or something, but um I would watch it I'd, from fifteen minutes in. Yeah, that it's because you know, as you said, you know, the first fifteen, twenty minutes you could have skipped that and you wouldn't have missed anything. Apart from maybe MGF pouring the drink on the child, but that's yeah. that's the only thing worthy of watching the first twenty five minutes for. I would, to be honest, I would rather. Wa- I've said this to you before we restarted. Uh, I would have rather watched Gunther Sheamus at Clash at the Castle again, if I'm yeah. brutally yeah. honest. Yeah, um, yeah. Match length doesn't always equal match quality. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move Basically, on, we'll what you're saying is like. So what you're saying is length doesn't matter. Yes, yes. It's a, a <laughs> saying I've told my fiance for years. Anyway, um, <laughs> heading into All Out, who do you want to see going for certain titles? It's double or nothing, Jesus Christ. I can never get <laughs> AEW pay-per-view names right. I always get Full <laughs> Gear and Revolution mixed up as well. Um, going into double or nothing, who would you like to see fight for... Um, the AW Championship. Who would you like to see go after the Women's Championship? And what would you like to see heading in there? Who would you like to see get more of a spotlight heading into AW's biggest show of the year? Well, you mentioned it earlier, and to be honest, you hooked me on the idea. For the AW World title, I want to see MJF versus Kenny Omega. Not necessarily in a stipulation match, I just want to see them go traditional one-on-one with 60-minute time limit, even though it only lasts about 20-25 minutes at most. Like just just give us that, 
and you know doesn't need to be overhyped. Just give us a solid wrestling match. You know, put MJF in a position where he really has to dig deep against arguably AEW's best performer. Uh, TN actually, no women's title. Pff, fuck knows at this point. If I'm being honest, like I mean, I think the Jamie Hater train has just come to a, a stop a little bit. But you've got Saraya, you've got Tony Storm, you've got Ruby Soho. I wouldn't be against maybe a... Let's have a fatal five-way. Hater, Baker, Zaria, Ruby, and Tony. And I wouldn't be against that. I reckon it'd be a good match, and it certainly hide uh, Jamie's shortcomings. But mm. yeah, I just nothing gets me interested in the AEW's women division, no matter how hard they try, just because... Yeah. I mean, they've got Hikaru Shida there. What is she doing? What, what is she doing? Um, you know, Riho was the next big the, thing Kenny Omega wanted to push. And then... Has, has, it, Riho, has Riho not got back to Japan now? I, God knows. You never know with AEW because this is the um, the issue with stop, start, stop, start. Here's a thousand championships and here's a thousand guys from a thousand different promotions. Mm-hmm. Here's someone from New Japan Wrestling that you should all know because you're you're smart mark fans and stuff who watches yeah. every single promotion under the sun. Yeah, like why should why should I know these people? Like why get give me a reason to like these people? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's sort of how I feel about the women's. I'm just looking at the women's division here now. Uh, So Athena, she came in and then was immediately panned off to the Ring of Honor uh, division. Britt Baker, Bunny, Amy, Amy Sakura, Hikaru Shida. Say again? Julia Hart. Yeah, Jade Cardgill, Jamie Hayter, Julia Hart, Kira Hogan, uh, Lily Gray, uh, Madison Rain. I'm just reading the ones who aren't injured. Marina <laughs> Shakir, oh God, no. Uh, Mercedes Mark. Martinez, Nyla Rose, Paige Van Zandt, oh, she's injured, uh, Penelope Ford, Red Velvet, Riho, she's still there, Ruby Soho, Soraya, Serena Deeb, Sky Blue, Tay Mello, uh, Tony Storm, Willow Nightingale, and Yuka Sakazaki. Oh, don't, don't try and pronounce that. Yeah, I'm not going to pronounce that, but yeah, there's a division there, but it's more of a it's more of a who cares than a who-who at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. AW. AW men's tag title, uh, Ass Boys versus FTR. Yeah, I think that's pretty much set in stone, that one. We'll obviously um, be keeping an eye on it. But Dave, just before we go, a wee quick 10-minute preview into the WrestleMania card, which is shaping up very, very nicely at this point. WrestleMania at this point. Three and a half weeks away. Uh, three and a half weeks away um, coming up Monday Night Raw last night we now have eight matches for uh, well they're not confirmed what night they're going to be taking place on but so far we have Cody Rhodes going up against Roman Reigns for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley facing off for the Smackdown Women's Championship Bianca Belair versus Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship Brock Lesnar versus Omos in a singles match. God, Gunther, Gunther going up against the winner of the Fatal Five-Way, 
match this week on SmackDown for the Intercontinental title. Austin Theory versus John Cena for the United States Championship. Seth freaking Rollins going up against Logan Paul and just a straight up singles match. And in a six women tag match, the Raw Women, eh, sorry, the Women's Tag Team Champions, Lita and Becky Lynch, teaming up with David Campbell's favourite wrestler, Trish Stratus, to take on Damage Control in a six women tag team match. Certainly a great card shaping up there. Um, let's talk about John Cena, Austin Theory. Um, Austin Theory having to goad John Cena into accepting the match. John Cena telling Theory, you're not ready. I'm going to take everything from you if we step in the ring here. Mm. This, um, I don't buy into the whole Cena buried this one, Cena buried that one. I think this, though, is a very much a, a make-or-break match for Austin Theory. Mm. If he beats John Cena at WrestleMania, you can launch him into the stratosphere. If he loses to John Cena, I don't think he's buried, but I think you've got a comfortable mid-carder for the rest of your career. Mm. Like, I think this match can can make or break how big a star Austin Theory is going to be. Oh, yeah. Like, I think Cena summed it up perfectly because it's he described it as a lose-lose situation for Theory a little bit. Because, I mean, sure, even if Theory wins, you know, big... Big step up for him if he's beaten the 16-time world champion uh, on the big stage, which would be huge for him. But at the same time, he also mentioned he acknowledged the Raw after WrestleMania crowd, which is the most brutal crowd of the entire year, and they will rip him a new one regardless if if he wins or loses. Because he's put himself in a position where everybody thinks he's a bit of a dick and... I still think he's a bit of a dick ever, ever since like he came out as the surprise entrant for Money in the Bank, which he did nothing with afterwards. Uh, even even then getting knocked out by Tyson Fury wasn't enough to, you know... Can I, can I say on the Money in the Bank, yeah. I think it's the best thing they could have done with Theory. Cash it and fail on the United States Championship. Yes, yes, and here's why. He was, we were moving in a new direction. We were moving away from Vince McMahon's WWE. He was very much being painted as a daddy's boy who doesn't have daddy's credit card anymore. Uh, And when he lost that, it gave him an edge. It gave him a bit more of a, a character. He was now, he was now going after, um, he was now going after the US title to prove to himself. He wasn't doing it for the fans. He wasn't doing it to get Vince's approval. He was doing it for himself. And he's been a better character since for it, I think. Mm. And add into the bargain, Roman Reigns' title run, um, be it to Drew McIntyre at Clash of the Castle or Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. I didn't want to see Roman lose the title to a cash-in. I didn't want to see him split the titles. It has to be one distinctive fall for that shock value. Mm-hmm. And whoever beats Roman Reigns, it needs to hold the title for at least three or four months after because you can't just end a, end a historic title run and then have the next guy hold it for 10 minutes. I, I think you need them to have a bit of a run, at least 150 days with the title. And that meant Austin Theory either main event at WrestleMania 
against John Cena for one of the belts, in which case I don't want to see that. I want to see John Cena theory for the US title. Or the timer runs out on theory. And I didn't want to see that either. So that that's just my opinion on it. Um but yeah, John Cena, Austin Theory. Looking forward to it. I think it's a make or break match. Let's talk about the host of WrestleMania, The Miz, throwing his weight around and giving us Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul last night. Um, I don't like Logan Paul, the celebrity. I think when I praise Logan Paul on here, people think I'm a f- I don't like him, but I do like him as a wrestler, and I like that he's playing a heel now. I like that Michael Cole is going, he's not interested in our business. He's using this for celebrity. Promote his his prime drink, probably. Yeah. They have that across the road from me, by the way, a ten or a bottle. I'm like, absolutely fucking not. Um, It's it's become the new... You remember rainbow dust that used to be sold at school tuck shops? Yeah. That's what that is. People, like, will... Pay like pay any amount just to get a, a swig of it. It was like <laughs> it was like it's like um it's like rainbow coloured crack. That's for that was stuff. right. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I see Prime being advertised in some shops on Tucky Hall Street and stuff. But I've never been tempted just to go in and see if there was any and how much they were getting sold for. But it was some of those sort of little yeah little tacky touristy shops that were displaying it and stuff and yeah i wasn't going to be convinced with whatever price they were going to sell at absolutely not um seth rollins possibly the most over he's ever been um so over that they had to change him from a despicable heel um going up against the hated celebrity i think this is a perfect matchup Mm. i think that will be a great middle of the card celebrity match at WrestleMania and I'm hoping that Seth Rollins curb stomps him through the map. I hope so too. Like and Rollins is good with, you know, being a safe worker with someone who's slightly less experienced than him. You know, we've seen how well he did with Dominic Mysterio at SummerSlam twenty twenty one. They got a decent match out of a street fight and they made it work. Um he could easily do the same with Logan Paul, but you're right about one thing. Like Logan Paul has taken to the ring like a duck to water. I mean, when he when you get a really good match out of Roman Reigns in Saudi Arabia, you know he's he's got a knack for that sort of thing, and he's a trained MMA fighter. He's done boxing, so he knows what how oh, to. Well, like, he's done boxing let's let's <laughs> done the equivalent of the people that do charity fights it's a <laughs> six-week training camp and then a boxing match but he, but he, he is trained in mma though so he does have ex- some experience with combat sport to begin with it's not like he was coming in as like you know uh an nfl quarterback or a basketballer down in nxt or or like a cheerleader if it was from a female side of things but eh, outside the ring though Bit of a douche, not gonna lie. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not get never, I'm not interested in his YouTube channel. I'm not interested in his podcast. Not particularly interested in his prime drink, even though he does uh, do it with KSI. But because they're like besties now, he's after he's like, he's a knob. He is a knob. Yeah, and I want, and you're right. I want Rollins to curb stomp him to high heaven. 
Yeah. Um, let's talk about this match quickly because uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this match and wrap it up uh, because there's going to be obviously a WrestleMania preview show we do. So we'll get into the, the big main event matches in depth uh, in the coming weeks here on Central. But let's talk about one that's in the news at the minute, which is Brock Lesnar versus Omos. Really? Apparently, Vince McMahon was the one that pushed this through. He wanted this to happen. This was always his sort of... Um, this was always his sort of uh, match for Brock Omos. And it looks like Triple H has sort of gave him his toy mm. to distract him from everything else that he's putting on the card. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's Vince's wet dream on this ma- on this card here. It's uh, the big meaty men slapping meat match. Although Lesnar's probably just going to f five him once, and that's it. Game over. Maybe German suplex him half a dozen times, uh, fling him around like a wet trackie, and just be done with it. You know, I don't see it going any, any other way except because you've seen Braun Strowman beat Omos at one point. And we've seen Brock Lesnar defeat Braun Strowman with ease. Imagine what he'll do to Omos as well. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly think... don't know what else to say about this match other than, you know, Vince had to weasel his way in for one more big meaty men slapping meat match. And yeah, you know, land of the giants, you know, Brock Lesnar's a wrecking machine. He'll, he'll probably decimate Omos limb from limb and it'll only last like a few minutes. I think this is going to be uh, like it's going to be all about the visual. It's going to be. Have you ever seen Brock Lesnar manhandled like this before? Yes, Omos by Brock Strowman. Yeah, almost is going to throw him about, like, and then Brock Lesnar. The visual of just someone the size of Omos being f five, like no matter how many times he did it to the big show, I always thought it looked cool. But yeah, I, I do get why people aren't into it, but I do. Like that final visual, WWE is about WrestleMania moments. So that visual of a seven foot four, four hundred pound guy being held up by Brock Lesnar, who isn't the tallest, but he is an absolute machine. Just him f fiving him will look amazing. Um, but I, I picture this being a sort of Bobby Lashley almost level match. I'm just looking now. That match went six and a half minutes. I'd be surprised if we go above five minutes for this match. I agree, yeah. I don't see this going beyond five minutes, give or take. And like I said earlier, I think it's just going to be half a dozen German suplexes, maybe one, maybe two F5s at most, and then, you know, one and done, easy. Yeah, absolutely. Eight matches on the card so far, two nights to fill out. The WrestleMania SmackDown, NXT stand and deliver. At time of recording, NXT Roadblock is tonight, so I think we'll after tonight, have a more clear picture of what the uh, NXT Stand and Deliver card is going to look like. However, we'll get into all that and much, much more. The week of WrestleMania, we will have a full WrestleMania weekend in-depth preview. We're going to be previewing uh, Multiverse United, which is New Japan going up against Impact. We'll be previewing Ring of Honor's Supercard of Honor, all the happenings that are going on in the indie scene, and of course, the big show itself. Not the big show, the big Hell. show. <laughs> WrestleMania, both nights. I imagine there'll be more matches added. Plus, the SmackDown before WrestleMania, we always have 
everyone's favourite match, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. So I'm sure we all can't wait to see that. But just going to wrap up quickly. Thank you very much, Dave, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Not a problem. Just remember, you want to listen to any of our other podcasts. And by other podcasts, I mean the three shows we're still doing this network. SDL, East Meets West, and ESSR Central. Where you can find them on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and Android. Just search for Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And, of course, if you want to get involved in the conversation, at Suplex, Retweet, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McRobbie. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now.